welcome back to episode 39 of Working Wife, Happy Life. This is your host, Bethany Baines. I cannot believe that we're already in August. Uh, The summer has felt really full so far, but also like it's flying by. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that. Personally, we have a lot of changes going on as a family. We're relocating back to Brooklyn for the start of the new school year. Have a few big projects in motion currently. Day job is heating up uh, and hopefully a return to office and just general chaos. (laughs) (laughs) To say the least, it's been exciting and busy, um, but, you know, we talk so much about taking care of ourselves and being open and honest uh, on this podcast, and so I want to be honest with you. I'm feeling a bit stretched thin these days. Uh, It's so good to recognize our personal limits, and I've frankly started saying no more often. So no to new network syncs, no to moderating certain events, uh, no to some speaking engagements. Um, It's not on a permanent basis, but it's on a breather basis. And, you know, we all need to take a breather sometimes. I encourage you to do the same and, and to try not to feel guilty about it. I still struggle with feeling a little bit guilty, but I'm hopeful that the occasional no doesn't bring less opportunities, but just gives me time to breathe and to really engage with the areas where, you know, I feel my efforts are most meaningful and most fulfilling. So I'm hopeful for you that listening to today's episode provides you with a moment to breathe as well. So on that note, today's conversation is an incredibly thought-provoking discussion on the relationship we all have as individuals, as partners, as leaders, and as women with the topic of the century, dun-dun-dun, money. I have had the pleasure to get to know and work with A.J. Bishop, our guest today, over this past year, and I have to say she is the most like real-talk financial leader that I've met. She's an entrepreneur, a stepmom, a yoga teacher, and she combines all of these incredible talents into her mission to build wealth consciousness for ambitious women, helping them to build mindful strategies that increase their financial confidence, redefine wealth, and secure their financial legacies. She's the founder of My Wealth Conscious Coach and has over 15 years of experience in wealth management across the top players in the space. Together, we dive deep into the relationship women have with money. We know that is quite a conversation. We talk about the technical and spiritual work around money. Yes, spiritual. I mean, we introduce her incredible program called Money Magic. We explore money mindsets, like are you a spender, a saver, a planner, or maybe all three? We unearth ways to define what wealth means to you, because wealth is a worth concept, not a hard number. So get ready to be empowered and enlightened by her enthusiasm and ease around this favorite topic of mine. Enjoy my conversation with the incredible A.J. Bishop. Happy, happy Monday morning, AJ Bishop. Thank you so much for joining me on the Working Wife Happy Life podcast. Thank you, Bethany, for having me. It is a, here we are, beginning of May. I can't believe it. I I know. We were just talking about how crazy it is that time is, it's kind of like this dual, like, 
slowly creeping by and then going on fast forward in other moments. It feels like it's a very dichotomous time warp that we've been stuck in for these past, what, 18 months? Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. <laughs> or maybe 15. I don't know. Uh, well, you are the, the founder of an amazing program, uh, My Wealth Conscious Coach. And, you know, you're we got to engage with you within the Google community uh, with some incredible coaching and you brought such light and meaning to the topic of money and the topic of wealth. Um, so I, I thank you for what you're doing and I hope that you could share with our listeners uh, what My Wealth Conscious Coach is about, what the mission is and kind of how you found yourself in, in this part of your work. Of course. And thanks so much again for having me. It's perfect that we're speaking about motherhood and all the fun joys of working the week of before Mother's Day. Um, yes. But basically, My Wealth Conscious Coach was created as I saw a gap and a need for there to be the conversation around money and not so much from the dollars and cents or how it's being invested, but ultimately the relationship that we as women specifically have with money. I spent over 16 years in the investment and financial services industry. And a lot of that talk is technical, right? It's typically, how do you want to retire? What are your goals? How do I invest? But there's really not this more what I call spiritual or soul work around it. And it often gets neglected. And so my wealth conscious coach exists to create a sp safe space for women to have a financial transformation and redefine their definition of wealth, as well as to look at their relationship with money so that we can uplevel the world, right? I've, what I know about women is we do great things when we are confident, when we're powerful. And so the program Money Magic, which is our flagship program, really t does a lot of work around creating the right, creating that relationship with money where you feel confident, where you feel powerful, and have the ability to do the things you want with money versus feeling like money's doing you. Mm -hmm. That's and it's such a metaphor for life, right? Where you don't want life to happen to you, you want to make these conscious choices, and the same goes for money. And I, I love how you marry or Mary, sorry, if how you, sorry, Monday morning, guys, you got to give me a little bit of break <laughs> with the, the verbiage here, but how you marry the, the spiritual aspect of, of being with the, you know, critical and necessary aspect of money, right? Like I see, even in your background right now, you have dream catchers, you have Buddha, like you are a very spiritual being. And I feel like this line of work or this line of, um, topic has always been kind of dry and hard and cold and unwelcoming. And I really feel like you're trying to reframe that in a way that is uh, more accessible, uh, deeper in terms of the meaning and, and potentially more, you know, approachable for women specifically. For sure. So our values, right? We have three values at My Wealth Conscious Coach. The first one is feminine leadership. And what, what we know is, right, the investment and financial services industry was created by men for men. And so a lot of women get left out of the decision making. They get left out of the conversations. You know, the 16 years I spent, I was typically always almost the only woman in the room. And so we, we really embrace a feminine leadership model, which both male and female can have 
you know, feminine leadership, but it's these ideas of using your intuition, using creativity, using collaboration to have and to learn more about money. And then we also have, you know, our second value is around fun. So right, money is money is such a dry topic. And, you know, you typically think of people in suits and pie charts. And so that's often why women do not interact with money or with the concepts of investing or the concepts of wealth management, because it's, it's just boring, right? It's not sexy. It's not fun. So we've created a very fun and creative model to get the information needed to women to deliver it in a way that feels not only um, fun, but also in a way that's meaningful and creates change versus, you know, your typical, like, hand me a spreadsheet for a budget and good luck. So we really take a hands-on approach, which our third value is all around community, right? We work, mm -hmm. we work through the modules together because we believe that women need to be talking about money. It's not a topic that you know, if you get together with your girlfriends, it's typically not the first topic that you go to, you know, it's often how you're doing or how the kids. And so we want to normalize conversations about money and wealth. And so we do that within our, our value system. Yeah. I, and I think that's such an important hurdle for us to get over in terms of having these conversations in a way that aligns with our value system, with our communication styles, with our you know, meaningful connections with one another. And I saw that when you did the work with our community at Google, it took a while for folks to uh, open up and get a little comfortable with that discomfort of sharing something that is so deeply personal and emotionally charged. Um, because what you uncover a lot, you know, and I would love to talk to you about these kind of money mindsets um, to jump into one aspect of the work that you do is kind of peeling back the layers of our relationship with money to figure out where that like driving force is in terms of how we think and thereby how we feel about money. Can you share a little bit about these, these mindsets and, and how you work with people to kind of, you know, get to the root of what their mindset is? Yes. Yeah, so ultimately we've discovered, or I've discovered over all these years of working with women, men, right? is that there's three primary money mindsets and or personalities, if you will. There's the spender, there's the saver, and then there's a planner. And there's, you know, variations of all of these. And people often ask, well, am I just one or can I be all three? And the reality is, is we are all three, but we have a primary driver, right? It's our go-to. It's typically when you think of money, it's, you know, do I hide from it? Do I spend it? and feel out of control with it? Or am I always looking to the future and not putting anything into plans and to putting it mm. into place? And so these mindsets ultimately were created for you right over your lifetime. And it started at home where, you know, your parents or maybe a single mother, like I grew up with a single mother and, you know, she really taught me the value of saving. However, she also showed love by spending, right? Like, so she would buy mm. us gifts and, so for a very long time, I saw achievement, I saw a celebration, I saw love as being able to spend money. And when I was younger, and, you know, in a marriage, I was not happy about that's how I chose to find a way to be happy was to spend. And so oh, it's not that any of the personalities are bad. It's just when you overanalyze it, or you put it onto overdrive, like anything else, 
and it creates problems, right? So it's either creating debt or you're replacing, right, emotional experiences through money, then then there's then there's typically where that line you cross and you personally, right? Like you can feel there's something that's not quite in alignment with how I'm using my money and how, right, either I'm saving it or spending it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to think of these transformations that we go through as individuals around kind of, you know, unwinding perspectives on money that we've grown up with versus perspectives on money we've grown into versus perspectives that we've, um, you know, almost compromised with, with partners and, and how we channel that into different habits. Um, and, and you can see how, you know, when you do engage with money conversations with those around you, you can kind of see where the friction picks up almost immediately based on these, you know, potentially different mindsets or different emotional triggers around money. Um, how did you see that like play out, you know, based on your background and into your relationships kind of, how did you zoom out and take this moment to realize that, you know, there was more to unpack than just, uh, you know, what we put as spending habits. We don't think of that in a very introspective way. Well, I think it directly ties to my background in yoga. I've been practicing yoga for about as long as I was in the industry. It was always my way of, right, finding, you know, de-stressing self-care, if you will. And for a long time, it was mainly just about the physical asana, right? Like the poses that everyone knows yoga for. But then I decided it was probably 2011, 2012 that I wanted to learn more about yoga itself and the philosophy. And there's a whole methodology and philosophy around what's called wealth consciousness. And it's just like any other, you know, situation where you're looking to uncover right once underneath. So some people have issues with, you know, health or they have issues with you know, drinking, or they have relationship issues, money, money's just another one of those tangible things that in this lifetime, some, some people really struggle with. And what I realized was, you know, there was a, a beautiful way to integrate the wealth consciousness that came from yoga into actual practical wealth management topics. Now there's, you know, different studies out there, like behavioral finance, for example, is an actual scientific study of how people use emotions or don't use emotions to make financial decisions. But there still was this almost, it was still very a technical, like, you know, almost like a study slash research versus being able to really bring it, the humanness into it. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. by looking at, okay, right. We know that mindsets are created based off of behavior, beliefs, and attitudes uh, that was the opening that I saw of, you know, over this 15 years, I was like, you know, there would be multimillionaires who were always afraid that all their money was going to disappear. And I'm like, you know, rationally, that is not realistic because they had more money than some people and any of us could have dream of, but they had that deep, deep seated fear around that. Or I'd have right people who would be able to make a lot of money and then it would disappear in a matter of months because they had issues and complications with not being able to save the money. So ultimately all these mindsets are workable and you already brought it up, but it's ultimately 
my work with women is helping them shift into choice, right? So rather than being reactive and making, you know, rash, irrational decisions, it's the ability to stand in choice and say, am I aligned, right? Like, am I aligned with what my vision and my goals are for my finances? Am I acting in alignment or is this a reaction? Am, am I, you know, doing what I've always done or using tools and techniques that I've been taught over the years? So it really is a rewiring in a way of how do I want to choose to be related to my money? And ultimately, at the end of the program, women walk away with a whole new sense of what wealth really means to them. And often money's only a very small piece of it. Yeah, that's I. So I have done a lot of yoga in the past. Certainly, I don't think to the extent that you have, and and didn't study it as as much. But there's always this concept of not going to the pose because you know that's what's coming next. But like listening to your breath, listening to the instructor, staying with the community in the class, where when you're unwinding, what you're thinking, what you're saying with money is so much of this is some sort of muscle memory where you're saying, just take that step back, take that breath and, and connect with what you're doing to understand it. And then you can potentially rewire things. Um, you know, I think a lot about impulse purchases, which I'm totally guilty of. I almost impulse purchased a couch, which is like a huge fucking commitment, right? <laughs> like, I mean, obviously you could like impulse buy a house, I guess, but like a couch is like a giant piece of furniture. It did not fit in my in my living room. I was trying every which way in my head to make it work. Um, and, you know, my my husband was just sitting on our perfectly good couch that we have now and just like letting me spiral through it, you know, just like, okay, she's, she's going to get there where she says no. But there's that very weird emotional or, or, or even I've heard people who will throw stuff in an online shopping cart and not buy it. But just the gratification of choosing it is enough for them to get that, you know, weird little high that you get from the idea of exchanging money for goods, I guess. Um, but it is kind of fascinating when you unwind all these little habits that we do. Um, but you, you, you did touch on something that I'd love to click into. Um, that's one of the most obnoxious tech terms. I'm sorry, I just used it. Um, but the the idea of uh, you know, what wealth means to you and, and really understanding what that is and how much of it actually doesn't have to do with money. What did you mean by that? So I always start with women when we go on this journey of right, redefining wealth and creating a relationship that feels empowering and confident with money around, right? Wealth is made up of three components. And the first one is treasure, right? Like that's money. That's the actual dollars. But then wealth also really heavily leans on time and talent. So there's three T's to wealth. And so if you're in a job, for example, that you hate, but you're in the job because it pays you a lot of money, is that really, is that really how you're creating wealth, right? Ultimately, a lot of women I run into make very great money, right? Like they are the primary breadwinners. And they don't love their work, but they do it because of the money. And then they get to a place where they feel trapped. And then I mm -hmm. also run into women who are afraid of money, right? Like there's this, you know, I, I earn a lot of money or I feel guilty about it and I don't want to interact with it. And what happens is they default and someone else then becomes in control of their financial mm -hmm. decisions. 
So ultimately, right, when you look at this idea of wealth, it's how, how do I want to create a legacy every single day, right? Like, so sometimes legacy people think, oh, that's something that happens after I've passed away. But the reality is, is we live into our legacy every single day. And so when you're really clear on what that legacy is, right? We do a lot of work around vision and goals and creating what's called a living legacy. Then when you are ultimately looking at the full picture of wealth, it's, oh, oh Lord, like, right. There's so much more than just actual dollars. It could be the time I'm spending with my family. It could be the time that I volunteer like personally for the boys and girls club. And so all of those experiences. So for me, wealth really is more about experiences than it is actual dollars, right? Like the dollars are needed sometimes to create the experience, sometimes not, but wealth to me more is, as I'm, you know, daily is, is around time, right? Like Mm -hmm. time is my resource that I cannot get back. And so for me, time is probably the most important resource that I have. Yeah. I, I love that concept because you know, you, you've seen, we've seen all the movies of the people that have this extraordinary wealth and are never, you know, enjoying it. And then they, something happens or they have some dream and some vision. Um, but it's true. How many of us just continue to go through, there's this concept of the golden handcuffs. Like you were talking about somebody whose career has grown up. They're not fulfilled by it anymore. They feel stuck. They feel trapped. They don't feel they can, uh, sustain their lifestyle if they took a different path, but what other wealth would they be gaining by, you know, shifting to find value in these other spaces? Um, and you actually shared something during the chat with Google about the, um, I think it was a Japanese mindset. There's a Japanese word for this mindset of like the concept of retirement. What was that? It's a ikigai. So it's where your passion, your profession your mission and what you can get paid for. It's that sweet spot where all four of those intersect. And in Jap in Japan, they have the world's like the the most amount of hundred year olds. And they found that it's because they subscribe to this mindset that when you find work that meets all four, that intersection, it doesn't feel like work. So you're not stressing out, right? Like you feel like you're contributing to a more purposeful or more meaningful mission. And uh, ultimately, right, like you get paid for it. And it's interesting when I in, when I integrate this idea and this concept to the women I work with, a lot of them are like, well, I don't think I can get paid to do that. And I always say, well, someone got paid to create a chia pet. Someone gets paid <laughs> or like to walk dogs. Like, like people have found a way, like there's millionaires out there who are hairdressers and millionaires who, right, like just do nails. So it's it's really about how you find that passion and that purpose that you can get paid for. And that's the that's basically what Ikigai is, is finding finding that way your reason for being is ultimately what it means. Yeah. And it, and that that concept of not retiring and, and, you know, cause I think so many of us that work in this corporate world, there is that mindset, right? You get to a certain point and then you get to access this money that you've chunked away, uh, you know, so that you can live your life and travel and do all these things. And how many stories do you hear of people who get there and, you know, either don't have the will to stop working or 
sickness comes in or they've lost their life partner, you know, all these things where you've put life on hold for, you know, it's almost going back to yoga. It's almost back to this journey, right? Like where it, the journey is life. It's not these like moments that we just get to and check it off the list. It's how you're getting there. Um, and I've seen a lot of people really go through, obviously pandemic aside has been hard, but a lot of people really go through this analysis of, um, you know, where they want to invest their money. And I'm not talking about stocks or real estate, et cetera. I'm, I'm talking more, you know, do they want to invest in experiences versus lifestyle? Do they want to, you know, travel, then have a larger house or, you know, those types of um, balances, because it's not, you know, people are working later in life. They're, they longer, they, most of us need to work longer because it's inherently getting more and more expensive to have these tiny humans um, who aren't so tiny anymore. I, I got to stop saying that. Um, but, you know, these things are, and we live in a capitalistic, materialistic society too, right? Where there's there's status and, and all that stuff. So it's a very challenging journey to be on. And when you think of it in this way of, you know, one metric that I've felt a little boxed in by was something I read many years ago where it said, you know, on average women stop or, or peak in their earnings at the age of 44, which I'm 44 right now. And I, so this whole year, that's what I've been thinking about. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, coach me on that because that's got to be a very unhealthy mentality that I'm taking some random statistic from one article and it's emotionally impacted me this entire year when I think about uh, my potential progression. Well, I think ultimately what you're speaking to is what I always tell women, wealth is a worth a worth concept. And if you have any vision, attitude, belief around not being good enough or not having enough in, in general, right? Like there's the scarcity, you, you know, you mentioned the capitalist society we live in, our, our, the United States lives in a collective scarcity ideology, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's not just the, the half of the work I do with women is yes, how do I, how am I interacting? How am I engaging the world? But it's also looking at, well, this is much bigger than just you and I, Bethany, it's bigger than even the women collectively, like it's a global social norm that women, right, do not make the money that women do not reach certain levels of leadership. And so it's a collective mindset that ultimately you're actually pointing to, right? Is there's this collective understanding that women will either, right? Like leave the workforce because they decide to have children or they'll stay or they'll stay in the workforce and decide not to have children. But there's always this work-life balance movement, right? That says, is it possible to have both? And, and it can be, it's just, I've always, I've always shared with women that it's not necessarily about balance because there's always going to be times where your family takes more time, you take more time, your job takes more time. It's more about getting back to a place where you feel rejuvenated and, and restored. Mm -hmm. And what I mean about that is I think to your point, your question around this number of 44, I think by 44, most women are so burnt out from working so hard 
that they don't have it in them anymore to keep working and to keep climbing mm -hmm. the ladder, right? Like if I look around for the years I was in the industry, right, there were women, but typically they were, you know, in their forties or fifties, but they had, yes, gotten to a point where they decided, well, I, I either need to not keep going up the ladder because I'll have to relocate or I can't be home as much. So it's, it's, it's a real issue that candidly, I don't have answers at. And it's something that we focus on at My Wealth Conscious Coach. So we work with institutions and within institutions, such as Google, such as JP Morgan, to bring these type of conversations. Because I personally believe if women can really get to a place where, again, that concept of feminine leadership, where we're really leaning into our ability to restore and not burn out, then we can absolutely push the boundaries of the level of money we've been able to make in the past. But, in, but until we rewire ourselves collectively, it's going to be, it's going to be more of the same as I like to say it. So that's why, right. Our vision is to impact a million women. So we do a lot of talk about money, but really it's, it's how do you sustain wealth over time. And sometimes that means working. So how do you learn how to, you know, I, I just always say, and you probably noticed this too, Bethany, right? Working around a lot of men, they just don't get as emotional about their work as we do. And if they do, mm -hmm. it's just like, they're able to like go outside and do something about it. I don't know. I, <laughs> it's always just completely baffled me how men have a very different way to work with work stress where women, we actually take it in and we let it fester and, you know, it burns Person us out. Personalize that. Yes. Yeah. So that's part of that. the feminine leadership we teach too, because we can't burn out, right? We just can't because otherwise we're not going to ever get to the levels of wealth that we all deserve. And I, and I love kind of unpacking that because you know, when I read that article or I, you know, recite that stat, it's very much from a, you know, position of like, well, this is just the patriarchy at work, right? They're just, you know, and the, the truth of it is, while that may, yes, be true, the unpackings of that and kind of the reframe that you brought to that moment was, you know, this is actually more about or could be more a result of kind of how much we've done to make it here and how much we feel like we just can't go on. Um, and you couple that with things like, you know, just in general, on average, that age, most people my age will have children in middle school where that starts to get very whole different ball of wax mm -hmm. with the kids. Um, they, and then yeah, they need you and they need you in a different way. Right. So yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a stepmom and I came in later. So the kids are you know, I wasn't there for the diaper phase. I wasn't there for like the kindergarten, but they need you in such a different way when they're teens from when they're mm -hmm. kids. And I feel like you're spot on right, right about now is where women say, is it worth it? Right? Like, do I want to be home for my 13 year old daughter? You know, I think about what I was like when I was 13 and, you know, having, have, yeah, Thank you, mom. That's all I have to I say. Do, yeah. Right. I don't and, want to think about it. <laughs> and so it's typically right. The woman who will make the choice and just 
the other side to that is elderly parents, right? So we Mm -hmm. women are known as what's called the sandwich generation, where we typically are taking care of our aging parents as well as our children because, Mm -hmm. you know, because we are living longer. And so there's just so many dynamics that weren't necessarily there even 20, 30 years ago, right? With technology, with our ability to be plugged in all the time, there's just so many different ways that women burn out. And um, because we haven't really been taught, how do I take care of myself, right? Women tend to take care of everyone but themselves first. That's that's one of the things we pride ourselves in teaching women about wealth is, yeah, it's your health too, right? Like you really do have to be able to take care of yourself and put your own mask on before you try to do others. Cause that that's just, yeah. that's feeding more into what's missing, what's wrong and what's not going right. Well, there's such a tie to financial health and wellness and your physical health and wellness. Even if you look across gender lines, right? You look at rates of heart attack and heart disease. And as we have more and more women uh, as the primary earners, you're actually seeing the numbers of those types of diseases increasing in women. Um, And it's, you know, there's definitely that tie and that link there. And I think when you speak about, you know, this, this concept of, you know, even with the pandemic, right? Where it's like, we're going to rebuild this workforce for those of us that have been fortunate enough to be remote working in this way. And there's tons of conversations going on about how we rebuild and how we, you know, continue to maintain the level of flexibility that has been a gift while continuing to produce the results that we need as, as businesses. And I actually just saw a study come out of Australia, I think where, cause they've reopened faster than most other countries in the world. Um, And they did an analysis based on flexible workforces. And they saw that the more female leadership um, they had in the more diversity of their business units, the more flexible their return to office was. Um, And there was one outlier who did not have a very diverse staff, but was very flexible. And that company had a female CEO. Um, And it doesn't surprise me. Uh, but I do, you know, I've kind of heard both sides of this argument that like, you know, this flexible work is so much better for women. Well, is that because we're taking on so many more of these things that you just identified both with child care and child rearing and, um, as well as caring for the elderly, like, is that flexibility do you think? And I know this isn't necessarily the work that you do, but your opinion, is that flexibility more beneficial or harmful to women? because of those inequities that could live inside the home just as, you know, thrive just as much as they do inside the workforce, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I, again, my opinion, and I believe the flexibility is what's required in this new wave of how we reinvent the world, right? We, we literally just came out of a global shutdown and almost all businesses with, we'll, we'll speak in large corporations or like they were all, everyone made it in the sense mm-hmm. of no one had to close their doors in these larger corporations. And if anything, I would imagine outside of, right, like coronavirus related stressors, the overall job satisfaction, probably if, you know, there were statistics or studies done, I would imagine shifted, right? Like there's people I talked to who are like, I totally started reading again, or 
I started working out again, or I got to spend more time. Like some people really took that extra time to heart and created a new lifestyle for them where some people just stayed on autopilot, right. And Mm -hmm. kept the pace. If anything, it's gotten more intense for them. And those people are now extremely burnt out, right? Because they have not had one single minute to stop and really process what happened, not only in the workplace, but what happened right globally for us. And so I think that ultimately we, we have to take a look at how we have been always doing things. And with the introduction of technology, there's so many ways that work can be done. Like I've I would say I'm more, I was more productive when we went to a global shutdown, right, where I had to take everything remote than my old job where I used to have to drive two, three hours some days or get on planes, right? There's just more productivity that comes out of it. And there's also like a quality of life that's available for those of who, who are mindful and take that time. Yeah. I, well, it's taking me back to your kind of your description of the three tenets of wealth. It's treasure, time, and talent, right? So where are you feeding your your soul and your needs in other ways? And also where are you setting the right boundaries? And I think that's been one of the hardest things is now that these lines are so blurred. You know, I mean, it's 1145. I'm still in my, my workout pants. So it's like where these lines, where they've been blurred to your benefit. Yes. And, and, and like doubling down on those versus the ones that have been more harmful. Um, and it, and it's a challenge now, obviously there's so many global economic impacts from the pandemic and we're seeing this in, in everything right now with the real estate market, with the, you know, the interest rates, um, with the stock market going insane with cryptocurrency, you know, there's all these different kind of wealth defining money defining aspects that have really gone in completely unexpected directions throughout this pandemic. Have you seen anything about women's relationship with money shift through this time? Like we were talking before about scarcity was, has that played a factor? What have you seen in your practice in terms of how this has impacted women differently? Yes. The statistics are frightening in a way. Um, in October of last year, over 2.2 million women left the workforce. Now, some of those women went to start their own businesses, which of course is amazing. And I'm an example of one of those individuals who left right full-time corporate job to start my own company. But there's a lot of women who left because they, right, either their current income was not sufficient or didn't justify their ability to be able to care for their family, or they had increased responsibilities at home. And so that statistic worries me in some ways, right? A lot of, there's a lot of research. I, I look at, you know, regularly at the Harvard business review, but they're doing research about, right. What's the, what are institutions, what are corporations doing to make sure that women stay in the workplace? Because, you know, the, the statistics are real, right? Women owned businesses, Uh, are some of the fastest growing and the most profitable, as well as corporations that are ran by women CEOs tend to have great performance, right? It's, It's as simple as looking at a corporate structure, even individually, but the statistics that really threw um, me through a loop that I recently saw Fidelity did a research on 
right? Like they interviewed, I think it was like 2000 people and 25% of the women versus 17%, I believe of the men said that their financial situation was worse off than prior to COVID and women of color, that number even doubled. So there's Mm -hmm. ultimately, right? Like a, a collective mindset of things being worse off than they were, despite, to your point, Bethany, the fact that things actually are as bad, right? Like the housing market is thriving. The stock market is thriving. Sure. Is there probably going to be a correction in both? Yes. And women tend to look at, right, the negative side, or they tend to be more hardwired into scarcity mentality mm-hmm. and concern and fear, because again, it's it's not any individual woman's fault. It's just we've been kept out of those conversations for so long. And so right. a big part of just even a conversation like this is super empowering because, you know, we're not talking about numbers of right the, the economy, but it's the general sense and the reality that we as women need to overcome our fear with money and just you know, face up to it and see what, what the other side holds for us. Cause it, it's very powerful when women do that work. Yeah. And, and get, getting comfortable with riding the waves, right? Like yes. it's, it's one of those things where the market will go up, the market will go down. It It's being, you know, my husband has said like, you know, if I look to sell something or, you know, cash something in, you know, he's just like, this is, it's not on your schedule. It's not on a to-do list. Like, this is not how you think about finance. And in many ways, like he, he calls me the taskmaster. And I think a lot of women have that role in their household that it's just, you know, there's, there's just shit that I'll get done that is in a different way or different time frame than he'll do. Um, and money's just not one of those things, right? You have to pull yourself out of that being, like something on the checklist necessarily and get more into the um the flexibility of it and that that I don't know I think that like and maybe for breadwinning women it's even more uh profound because we were not raised with the expectation or anticipation that we would be the financial leaders of our households necessarily you know those of us that were raised by single moms we we have a different perspective having gone through that but in general more generalized through movies through media through uh general education practices we are taught that somebody will come along and take care of us at some point yeah right? or prince charming right or yeah. princess charming for that yeah. matter but yeah. yes there's there's definitely more uh you will be take care you will be taken care of when it comes to little girls versus little boys are you know you need to take care of Um, it, Mm -hmm. it's even the language, right? So a lot of what, um, I work with women on is their language because our language Mm -hmm. creates our reality and what we think, what we say is real. And a lot of what women do is focus on what they do not want, right? I don't want this. I don't want that. And then what happens? It happens because that's all you're focused on. So getting really clear on, right? What is it that I do want to make happen with my money? What is it that I do want to make happen with my wealth is all, it sounds, it's, it sounds easy. And right. Our default isn't to do that collectively, you know, whether you're male or female, we, we tend to focus on the things we don't want. So it becomes really um, inspiring to be honest, when 
women get clarity around what it is they do want. And then magically what happens is they take an active role in their finances because to your point, when you see money as something separate, something as, you know, flat or something as complex or something as, right, I just don't get it, then of course you're never going to address it versus if you get really clear on, yeah, what actually do I want? It creates a whole new level of energy, right? Like there's excitement around it. There's curiosity around it versus the typical fixed view of, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to hide from it, right? I'm going to give it to someone else to go do. Yeah. Well, it's such an important kind of pivot. And I love that you highlight language. It's something uh, I talk about a lot on the podcast, whether it comes to uh, gender roles or, you know, things we say in the workforce. And and it really does come down to uh, some of these phrases. I remember when you worked with the team in, at Google, you were, you were asking people to share, like, what are some of these like phrases that you hear all the time, right? Like money doesn't grow on trees and time is money. You know, what are some of these phrases that we've internalized so much to become our sentiments around money because we've heard them said in this way, because we've heard them kind of prescribed to us in this way um, and getting much more intentional around the language we use, the language we, uh, you know, our ears perk up to, and then how does that impact our behavior or our, you know, general outlook on our financial futures and opportunities? I think it's everything. It really is. And I, I think that that's the, that's the real joy and excitement I get in the fun, right. Is working with women who come in and say, I was like, I just don't get it. Like I don't get money. And, you know, they're successful women either in corporate America, or they own their own businesses and they're, they're ashamed, right? Like they're embarrassed by that. And the reality is, is we, we all have our thing that we are great at. And, you know, it's just like, I tell people, well, I'm not a doctor. So how would I know how to take care of my, you know, my, my arm, if I broke it, it's, it's the same with finances, right? Some people think that financial planning and investing has been commoditized in the sense that, right, like, sure, you can go on Vanguard, you can go on Fidelity, you can do all those things. There's access to more information and research on, right, like anything you could want to do. And when you're a busy person, that's time is that resource that we just can't get. And so one of the things that I'm really excited about, I'm partnering with a new company uh, some women who used to be financial advisors, and we're going to be looking at, right, like the collective mindset of individuals and how do we work with, and this is what I love about what I do is, right, I also offer financial planning. So I partner with financial advisors. And what what I'll tell you, Bethany, is people know they need a financial plan, but they won't take the steps to do it. And so mm-hmm. this assessment that we're working through is, The goal is to get people to take action and put into place a financial plan, because right now the the amount of people out there who make very great money and those who even don't, they don't have a financial plan because there's something out there. There's a collective, I don't know if it's a misunderstanding of the value behind it, um, or sometimes I run into individuals who say, well, I've got to get prepared for that. Well, no, the plan is the preparation. 
So oh, there's some really neat tools that I'm going to start working with, um, some pretty innovative ideas around how do we get more individuals and specifically women, because that's who I work with, to actually implement a financial plan. Because when they do, the success levels go, they just go through the roof. And I bet there's a lot of people that will hear that and think this is going to be really restrictive, right? And and it's to me, it's the opposite. It's the more you have planned, the more you're ensuring that you're reaching the goals that are more meaningful to you versus you know, that idea of, you know, it will, will I be able to buy as many things as I want to, or go on as many trips as I want to. It's like more anchoring into those things that are important to you. So you get more freedom within. Uh, I can't wait to see what that programming is when it comes out. Uh, will you share quickly, how can people engage with your work? What's the best way to get in touch with you and, and connect with the work that you're doing? Yeah, the best place to find us is on Instagram at my wealth conscious coach. We also have a website, MyWealthConsciousCoach.com. We regularly on a monthly basis do free events. So this month in honor of Mother's Day, we have a um, Moxie Mamas and Money Wealth Building for the Modern Mom. And next month, we're going to be doing a series all around owning your financial freedom. Uh, so every month we try to have right resources and programming available to anyone because oftentimes what also help it happens with women is well I don't have enough money to be considered wealthy well that right there is a mindset and mm -hmm. so we we know that right we have our our way of getting and having an impact not only on the individual is to bring the work directly to homes and then we have right a monthly 90 day immersion program that we run right now with a new program coming out soon. So I'm really looking forward to that too. That's fantastic. I'm so excited to take part in these programs. Like I said, the ones you did for Google were so helpful and thought provoking and light and fun and welcoming. And I just think that is the, the spirit and the you know, sentiment that has been needed in this topic for so very long. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for making the time to come on the podcast. Uh, and I can't wait to continue to engage. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Bethany. I love that you're creating a space for, yeah, real conversations to happen. So I'm honored to be a part of the show. Thank you so much. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated.